Honey Bear. You're listening to the Honey Bear Files. My name is Mariah, but my sons call me Honey Bear. I wanted to record some life lessons and advice for them before I forgot because I have a bad case of mom brain. My kids are one and three, so these lessons are for their future selves. Hi guys, it's Mama. Adult content has been included. Well, this podcast is for Archer. I'm calling it On Purpose Accidents, and we'll get into that. But before we get started, I wanted to talk about our time capsule. It's been a few months since my last podcast because uh, the winter has been a little bit bonkers. There's been some sad world news current events. Um, There's not a lot of great news right now. Um, There was another shooting recently, and this time it was at a high school in Florida, It's created a lot more movement and momentum for those of us, including myself, too, that want more gun control laws. Um, But what I love about this particular movement that's happening is that it's driven by students. It's another reminder that you're never too young to make this world a better place, create change. You know what happens when you're a young person, it happened for me, was that especially in high school and in college, you have all of these great ideas for change and things you want to see happen, but you have older generation that's telling you otherwise. They're saying things like you're being really idealistic. You don't really understand what it takes to make that happen, and you don't realize that your efforts are going to be in vain, and one day you'll realize that it's just impossible and you'll just live your life as a realist. That's what my dad told me. So my mom wasn't that way, but she was like, do whatever you want. Sure. But I had other people in my family that just thought it was trying to be something that was impossible to attain, that my passion for um, wanting to see good in my community and see change in my society or just to even be a part of creating some type of justice or change, um, that that was an ideal that was too high and that I was too young. And what ends up happening is that one day you wake up and everyone's telling you you're too old. (laughs) Like, what is this magical age when it's finally you're capable of doing whatever the hell it is you want to do? Um, It turns out, no, you don't grow out of some of those feelings. I still feel the same way I did when I was in high school and when I was in college. I have the same hopes and dreams and passions. In fact, they're more so. I feel like a sense of urgency because I am getting older. So I love that the movement, social movements that are happening right now are happening by young people. Never let anyone look down at you. Or say you can't do something or that your ideas are dumb just because you're young. Because there's someone that's telling them that they're too old. That's my experience. Uh, I took you guys on your first marches this year. We participated in the Martin Luther King March, which is on Martin Luther King's birthday. And that was rad. And then we went on the Women's March. That was the second annual Women's March. The last one was last year, obviously, annual. (laughs) It doesn't take a genius to figure that one out, that it's once a year. But there's something about participating in those marches that you have a sense of community and a sense of connection with other people. But there's also, in the world that we live in, a sense of worry 
Like, could a terrorist somehow drive through the crowd and kill people? That's happened before in other events. Um, could, you know, you start thinking, man, we're in such a, there's a, such a large group of people out here. All it takes is one crazy person, one hateful person to really turn this into a scary situation. And for me, I had to just choose to not worry and just participate. So that's what we did. And we had a great time and we made some friends along the way and it was great. It was a great experience for all of us. I'm glad you got to be a part of it. Um, so why has the last few months been a little bit busy for your mom? Well, Archer, in November, you got pneumonia. In December, you got croup, which I refer to as the croup because it makes it sound as nasty as it was. Jack, you stinker. <laughs> On December 18th, you decided to swallow a quarter. That was too big for you to quote unquote pass. So we had to get a little operation on January 18th, which we told you was that we were going on an adventure to the doctor's office and that you were going to take a long nap. And when you woke up, you would have a quarter that was in your stomach. It was an operation. They actually had to go into your stomach and retrieve it. Uh, I'm going to keep that quarter forever. I'm going to frame it. It's the most expensive quarter on the planet. And then in January, you both got the flu. There has been a lot of hype around people dying, especially children, of the flu. So it was freaky. You can go ahead and thank your dad for giving that to you. Uh, in other news and fun news, Jack, you wanted to go to the snow so bad. Uh, I totally know your thought process. You saw that it's winter. People are talking about snowflakes. They're talking about winter at school. Uh, you're watching holiday movies. You're thinking, hey, where's the snow? I want to go. So we took you guys to North Tahoe and bless your heart, Jack. Oh my gosh. You stepped outside the car. You felt that cold air hit your face. You touched the icy snow and you looked at me and you said, yeah, it's too cold. I want to go home. And that was that. But Archer, you are so different. <laughs> you tried to eat the snow. You tried to roll in the snow. You tried to throw snow. If you could have run around naked in the snow, you would have given half the chance. Even being sick, you wanted to crawl into Lake Tahoe. You wanted to be outside as long as possible. So I'm starting to think you'll be the one that gets to be the first kid in our family to get a set, set of stitches in the, in the ER. But speaking of crawling, Archer, you just started walking and you're fast. <laughs> oh my God. You're still a baby, but I would say one thing I have learned about toddler Archer is that you are stubborn. Your dad doesn't want me to call you stubborn. He wants me to say that you're determined. You are determined. You're determined to do whatever it is you want to do. And you have a lot of endurance. For example, sleep training. Jack would cry five minutes and fall asleep, maybe. Eventually, he would just, you would say, Jack, go to sleep. You just go to sleep. Uh, we have to let you cry for like 10 minutes at a time. And you only fall asleep because you're exhausted. And most of the time, uh, when you're really feeling it, it takes about an hour. I mean, you really are your dad's son. 
Ask him about the time his parents tried to make him eat vegetables, and they told him he had to sit at the table for as long as it took for him to eat them. Ask him how long it took. Just ask him. I love to be there when you ask him, so don't forget that. Me, I love rules. I love systems. I'm a planner. I like to plan far into the future. Um, If I don't see a system to follow, I like making one. I oftentimes feel like I need to ask permission to to do stuff. Part of it's because I like order. I don't want to offend somebody by just doing something without asking. Um, But if I see that something is not in order, I risk with caution and put things into order. So women like me are sometimes called bossy. However, I would like to remind you that I'm just simply the boss. Now, I know you're a toddler, and I get it. And I get that personality traits, however, last a long time. So I'm placing my bet that you are my opposite. You will probably make and break the rules as you go. And you probably won't notice rules, but instead trust your instinct, because that's what your dad does. He, let me just say, has had his fair share of unlucky seasons, primarily because he does whatever he wants. Now talk to him about how he changed his unlucky season into a season of finally winning. I would say that there was a rain cloud that followed him around of bad luck from the ages of 14 to 23, but he did find a way to get ahead of it, and it changed everything, but that's his story to tell you. Honey, as you grow, and I don't seem to get you, will you promise me to help me get you? Like, to understand you? Don't give up on me. I love you. And I want to always know who you are and understand where you're coming from. Uh, I can promise that I won't give up on you. I'll never stop working to love you and to serve you and to help you. I know that you will have a lot to teach me. And trust me, I'm a student of you, so school me. I want to tell you about a story, and it's the story of how you started. Now, you've heard me talk about how I wanted a baby, and Jack came along. I thought that was the end of the story, honest. Um, I remember your cousin Amber coming up to us, talking to us about possibly doing IVF, and having your dad's help. I remember that I started to cry at the idea of Jack being a big brother and having another kid around. Now, Amber, smartly and wisely, decided to go with another donor. Why is that good? Well, if there was a baby that was related to your dad, it would be hard for him not to want to be that baby's dad because he's a dad. Um, That's not how IVF works. (laughs) But I, here's what I can say. I cried for days on and off at the idea of another child. I, the doctors told us we couldn't have another kid unless we had like some medical assistance. And I wasn't going to go through that again because it was so incredibly hard. And we weren't on birth control because we didn't think we needed it. And then Valentine's Day, 2016, it was a warm, sunny day. Your brother took a long nap. Six weeks later, I'm tired, 
I'm crabby and I'm feeling gross. <laughs> Your dad asks me if I'm PMSing and before ripping his head off or asking such a jacked up question, I thought about it. Uh, and then I made him go to the grocery store for a pregnancy test. And then I took the test. And then I came into the hallway by your brother's, it was his nursery back then. And your dad walked into the hallway and I collapsed in his arms and I cried. I was scared. I was overwhelmed. I was instantly in love with you. I was confused. I was scared again because I didn't want anything bad to happen to you. And I was scared because working from home was already hard with just one baby. How could I contribute financially with two babies at home? All that stuff. We go to the doctor. You were perfect. My body needed no medical assistance at all for you. In fact, you were doing so well that you were bigger than average. You continued to be bigger, in fact, uh, one month bigger than your gestational age. Your due date kept changing, which I didn't know was a thing. Uh, but because it changed all the time, your dad was always pissed off at the doctor. Why can't you figure out when this baby's going to be born? Oh my gosh. I felt so bad for one of the doctors because we had a team of doctors and he just laid into this one lady so bad. Um, and I had to remind him, honey, this woman's going to be there when our child is born. You might not want to piss her off. But anyway, about halfway through my pregnancy, I'm driving and I'm praying for you. Probably 20 weeks, 22 weeks. I ask God, God, tell me about this baby. You're in charge of life and death. For years, you never gave us a baby. And now there's a second one on the way. <sighs> the still small voice so familiar this is what I heard God say I heard him say I gave you Jack for you but I'm giving you this one for me I was floored you may not have been planned by me but you're not an accident baby God wanted you here with our family and I'm telling you I cannot get over how rad that is we didn't know we needed you until you got here. God knew we needed you. He knew you were that important. And clearly, you were on this planet for a purpose. Now, the verse that I prayed over you since that day, driving in the car down the 5 freeway, about to exit 43rd from the book of Jeremiah 29, 11-13, it says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Okay, my little peach, let's talk about the book of Jeremiah for just a quick second before we unpack this little treasure. Now, Jeremiah, the actual guy, he started his ministry around 18 years old or so, like he was a young teenager, which is just like God. In his day, in his culture, in his city, older folks were people in society that were looked to for wisdom and guidance, not a snot-nosed teenager. I'm just kidding. Teenagers don't get snotty-nosed, but they are sassy. So imagine a sassy teenager, a high school senior, who has grown up in a family and a culture that is oppressed 
is seen as lower class, and he feels like he's been chosen by God to deliver a strong message to his entire community and city. First, he says, um, who, me? Right? That's what we all do. When, when we feel like God's asking us to do something really big, or we have this big old idea that feels so much larger than ourselves, we start to minimize our own self. Like we start thinking, wait, me? I, I'm supposed to do that? And not only does God say, yes, you, this is what chapter one in the book of Jeremiah says. This is God talking to Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as prophet to the nations. Jeremiah says, who me? I don't have what it takes. God says, don't say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them for I will be with you and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand, touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See today, I point you over the nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Archer, little baby, you belong to God. He decided that you needed to be on this planet in this city, in our family, with this mama and dada. And as I watch you grow, my son, you're fearless, determined, and opinionated. And God made you like this on purpose. Yes, you will be a pain in the ass teenager one day too. It's because you're supposed to be a trailblazer and do things without permission. You have instinct that you're supposed to follow because you're a leader. And the good news for me is that you're also a lover. You love love. And boy, do I love that. And when you allow your love to lead you, that trailblazing spirit mostly will lead you in the right direction, even if the right direction is the hard direction. And don't forget God's love. Follow the path of love. Now, you're hearing something in the background right now, and that's actually you and your brother waking up from nap, and your dad is uh, trying to get you away from the door of the office. <laughs> And that's precious. I see these tiny little feet and I hear a tiny little archer giggle. And yeah, Jack, you just had your first swimming lesson today too, by the way, and you're super pumped and you want to tell me about it. But uh, I tried to record this while you were napping and you're awake now. <laughs> Let me get back to it. Archer, baby, your daddy, he loves to say this. He says, if it's hard, it's probably the right thing to do. And he's right most of the time. That's why I let him lead our family. Uh, before you were even a blip on my radar, radar, before you were a blip on my radar, God chose you. As people, we get to find weight. We Well, let me rephrase that. I sometimes disqualify myself from different things that I feel like God is calling me to. But the the thing about Jeremiah is that he reminds us that God doesn't choose us because we have earned being chosen. God, he's not controlled by any decisions we make or by the way our society thinks we should do things. 
I mean, think about it. Jeremiah was chosen before he was even born. He had no abilities, no credentials, no history. He didn't even have a future yet. He was, he was still an unborn child and still he was chosen. And so are you. And although you were conceived on a beautiful, warm, sunny day without any planning from your parents, you were on purpose. And thank God he knew we needed you. Now, let's talk about Jeremiah and his community for a second. We live in a community. We live in Sacramento. Jeremiah lived in a community, and they were uh, taken over by a foreign government, right? So, like, we have different wars that we see in the world where uh, different, even we talk about World War One, we talk about World War Two. Um, even you think about the Revolutionary War in America, it's different countries that are trying to invade other countries. That's what it means for Jeremiah and his people. They are a community of people that were taken over by a foreign government called Babylon. Why are they in exile? That's what they're calling exile, that they were being taken over by this foreign government. It's being in exile. Why are they in exile? One, they had bad political policies. Two, they made bad religious policies. And three, they had terrible social policies. The government and the religious institution failed to lead them and they were led astray. And the result was that they got taken over by Babylon. God allowed it to happen. And by allowing these people to live in the consequences of their choices, uh, that was the justice of the book of Jeremiah. So you can imagine trying to be a public servant to deliver God's message to these people. I mean, they'd lost everything. Uh, They were taken over by a foreign government, and Jeremiah, maybe 20 years old, his job is to go and talk to them about what God's direction is for them. Sounds really intimidating to me. But the good news is that much of Jeremiah's message is actually about hope. Here's his message to his people. He's saying, yes, you're exiled. Yes, God is pissed. Yes, you chose poorly. Yes, this is God's justice. Yes, this will not have a quick turnaround. You guys have 70 years to go with this. But yes, you have hope and a future. Archer, think of people who run marathons. Like by mile 10, they're not even halfway done. By mile 15, some runners have actually, they have to, some, like, I don't know if they call it like runner's diarrhea or runner's poop, but like there's a point during a long distance run where you feel like you're going to crap your pants. And some people actually do. Some runners have to put band-aids on their nipples so they don't get blisters from the friction of their shirts rubbing as they run. When you're training for a long-distance run like that, you have to get into a different frame of mind if you're going to make it. In fact, there's a whole market of products out there for running, like shoes to fancy fanny packs that hold water bottles. You can buy fancy socks, underwear, hats, sunblock, chapstick, snacks. They make this special edible jelly that has stuff in it that has energy to keep you going. Getting ready for a long-distance journey requires preparation, and Jeremiah's message is preparation for this community's endurance run of time. And here's his message. Number one, first, his first message is of hope. 
For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Jeremiah's second message is one of teaching them to be obedient and faithful to God in the meantime. The the passage says, Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Third, this is the third message of this passage, is to hold tight and do what is right. In verse 7, earlier in, in, in the chapter 29, it says, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So yeah, this verse is actually from verse 7. But it's hard to interpret scripture without full context. So remember that. Read the whole book before telling people what one verse in the book means. And don't trust anyone who doesn't do stuff like that. Okay, that was a total side note. I regress. Here we go. Hold tight. Do what is right. Because it's going to take a while for change to take place. And while you wait, do what you know is right right now. Oh my gosh, kid. When I read the book of Jeremiah, I had to read it with another book written about Jeremiah by one of my favorite Old Testament professors from Fuller Seminary. Uh, That's my alma mater. John Golden Gay wrote this book, and it's in our family library, so feel free to nab it if you want. It's called Jeremiah for Everyone. The Old Testament can be really hard to understand, and um, there are a lot of jagged little pills in there, but Golden Gay does a great job of making it easier to navigate. So he had this example. He said that, say the Western church suddenly, or even slowly, no longer had any influence on the culture. The God of Jeremiah would say to Christians then to hold tight, seek the well-being of your community, seek God, but do not be what the culture wants. Instead, do what is loving and good, stay faithful to God, and wait for God to restore the church as an influencer. That's Golden Gate's point. For me, it means we're not defined as exiles. We aren't we are instead, though, defined by our relationship with God as the people of God. If God's people aren't influencing society, they don't. They aren't causing anything to happen in society that moves people towards God, uh, which is really a current event conversation and a good one to have if you want to have it. What Jeremiah is saying is, don't don't freak out. Don't fret too much. Instead, hold tight. Do what you know is right. Stay faithful to God, not to people. And steady yourself for a marathon, because it'll take a while for things to change. So let's unpack this passage more and personalize it. Okay, baby? The big idea of this passage is that God knows what he's doing. He knows you. He chooses you. And your job is to pray and seek God with your whole heart. It's an ebb and flow relationship promise. God doesn't promise a quick fix, but he does promise he has a great plan. And his plan is for you. But don't stop there, honey. I want you to push towards what the second point really is all about. To seek God with your whole heart. 
Where are your eyes focused right now? Are you focused on girls? Are you focused on love? Are you focused on athletics or sports? Are you focused on your education? Are you focused on your social life? When we focus on God first, the priorities of all the other things that are important to us get put in their proper place. And God gives us all freedom. That's part of the reason why this world is such a fucked up place. We have freedom to do whatever we want. And then we have to live in the consequences of other people's actions because they get to do whatever they want. Not that much different from the world that Jeremiah was living with with his people. But with that freedom comes the opportunity to choose God as your focus or not. And this isn't to scare you into doing the right thing. Uh, it's Instead, it's I want to... I want to give you hope that there's room for adjustment, uh, that when we're focusing on something and we realize that our priorities are all messed up, uh, there's room for something different. In this moment, in this very second, you can switch your focus off yourself and onto God. You can change your attitude in a split moment, your direction, your attention towards God instead of yourself. You can allow that adjustment to become the new lens to view whatever circumstances are that you're going through right now. That is what it means to pray and seek God with your whole heart. Maybe you will be a systems person like me. Maybe maybe that's important to you. For me, knowing what Jesus had to say about the world, about people, about love, that's my guide. That's my system. Uh, in the next couple episodes, I'm going to be focusing on Sermon of the Mount, on the Mount, um, specifically from Diedrich Bonhoeffer's point of view, because it's important to me that you too have that as your foundation, and as a system, and as a guide. But maybe you're a guy that creates your own way, like your dad. There's a place in the kingdom of God for, for you. Following God does not mean that you get to miss out on all the fun stuff in life. That's just bad theology. It doesn't mean being passive towards oppressive powers at hand. God needs people to, one, make good political policies, two, make good religious policies, and three, make good social policies. And to do that, to do that, the things that are right, You have to start from the standpoint of loving people and treating all people with dignity and respect. And you can only truly do that when you seek God first with all of your heart. If the foundation of your life is to pray and to seek God with all of your heart, the rest will shuffle into place. You'll be eager to figure out what is right and then be courageous enough to do it. Archer, you are on this planet for a purpose. Do not get hung up on trying to figure out what that purpose is. It's a waste of time. Instead, pray. Seek God with your heart and work to understand what you're good at, what you're passionate about, what pisses you off, what drives you, what makes you crazy happy. Take note of those things. Baby, not everyone in this world is going to think that you're something special. And don't get me wrong, you're special. (laughs) You're special to me, and you're special to your dad, and you're special to your family. But beyond us, people will need to get to know you to understand how special you are. So let yourself be known, son. Blaze that trail. Do your thing. You have purpose written all 
over your life. And may God continue to protect you and guide you and remind you that you are in this world for a reason. You understand yourself and use what you are good at to make this planet a better place. And may you always seek God with your whole heart and trust your instincts. And may you love people more than you love yourself.